Church family, would you turn your eyes to the screen and let's recite the following together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said to his disciples, All authority has been given to me. Therefore, as you go, as you baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, as you teach them to obey all I have commanded you, make disciples. Make disciples. And we've been paying attention to that commission here in this season of our church life. The simple commission. In a world of 500 plus TV channels and too many choices, we're pursuing the simple commission, which is being disciples who make disciples for the glory of Christ. Being disciples who make disciples for the glory of Christ. Life in Jesus Christ begins not with, I earn, I pay, I work, I strive, or I try harder. Rather, I believe. I believe. Well, what do disciples believe? What do Christians believe? What is the content of Christianity? Do we just get to make up on our own what we want to believe and then call that Christianity? Or does Christianity, does the content of Christianity come outside ourselves? Something we believe, we put our trust upon, we rest our lives in. What makes Christianity Christianity? Well, the Apostles' Creed answers that question. And so I'd like for us to spend this upcoming season called Lent, which is a 40-day period of praying and fasting and spiritual preparation leading up to Easter Sunday. I'd like for us to spend this season here in the Creed, in the Apostles' Creed, this this ancient historic truth of the Christian faith. And so I want to give an introduction to the creed this morning and then speak about, about this very first article, God the Father Almighty, maker in heaven and earth. And, and let me tell you why this matters. Big idea coming your way. Uh, what comes to mind when we think about God? 
is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about you is not where you work, how much money you make, what your home looks like, what car you drive. The most important thing, what comes to your mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so I want to talk about this, this creed, what it is, what it does, and what it says. That's where we're going this morning. First, what the creed is. What is the creed? The creed is a succinct summary. It's a public confession, and it's objective truth. That's the creed. First, it's a succinct summary. It's, it's a succinct summary of Christianity's core truths. In it are the essential articles of the Christian faith necessary for salvation. One author put it this way. Christians may believe more than what is stated in the Apostles' Creed, but no Christian can believe less. So the creed is composed of biblical facts. So all that is in the creed comes from the Bible. So the Bible itself defines Christianity. <laughs> now the creed is no substitute for reading your Bible. Rather, it's, it's shorthand, it's, it's, it's memorable, it's poetic, it's lyrical. You can recite it. Someone says, what do you believe? And you can recite the creed. This is what I believe. And it's called the Apostles' Creed because it's based on the teaching of the apostles as found in the Scriptures. The first creed came from the apostle Peter. In Matthew 16, 16, Jesus said to his disciples... Who do people say that I am? And then he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter gave the very first creed. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that creed is recited by everyone who steps into that baptistry. Before you're baptized, you state that creed, which is a succinct summary of Jesus the Christ. Uh, later in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, the Apostle Paul gives us another dimension of the creed when he simply says, Jesus is Lord. That's a creedal statement. He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. See, that's a creedal statement. Oh, and then there's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. This is a creedal statement. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So, so these are early creedal statements, all of which Jude, verse 3, urges, I appeal to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So as Christianity spread, these, these creedal fragments became more 
organized or developed such that in the second century there was what was called uh, the Old Roman Creed, which is a, a early version of the Apostles' Creed. And then uh, there's a version called the, the Nicene Creed. And, and then this version, the Apostles' Creed, very popular in Western Christianity, the Nicene Creed in Eastern Christianity. Western Christianity, this, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, the creed is summarized according to the Trinity. Did you notice that when we recited it? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. See, see Christianity asserts a threeness to the oneness of God. For human beings, it's one person, one being. Christianity, though, teaches that, that one God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. Three distinct persons, and each person is God. One being, three persons, and don't ask me to explain that. And the creed starts with God the Father, and then proceeds with God the Son, and then culminates with God the Spirit. And there's sort of a salvation narrative going on as we recite the creed. So it's a succinct summary of Christianity. It's also a public confession of faith. In the early church, the creed was recited before baptism. It was stated as a response to the question, what do you believe? And the candidate would bapti for baptism would announce, here's what I believe, and then recite the creed. So the creed is not so much God's word to us as much as our response to the gospel news and his self-disclosure in Christ. Think about it. God so loved the world that he surrendered his right to privacy in disclosing who he is and where we stand with this God and what he's done in Christ. And our responses, this, this creed, our announcement to the world of our firmness in Christ. This is where we stand. This is what we believe. Americans are protected by the rule of law in the United States to gather in rooms like this and declare Jesus is Lord. But did you know in earlier days to recite the creed was treason? So Jesus is Lord meant that Caesar is not. No, we won't sacrifice to Caesar. No, we won't bow down to Caesar. We won't offer incense. We're not going to say we believe something that we really don't believe in just to escape persecution. It's one thing to confess Christ as Lord under the First Amendment. It's another thing to say it under the nose of Nero. And so I propose that our recitation of the Apostles' Creed is a worshipful act of holy defiance against the principalities and powers of this world. To recite the creed is 
is a loyal act of treason against the evil one. To recite the creed is to renounce Satan and all his works. To, renounce, to recite the creed is to reject the popular narrative of the day. To recite the creed is to reject the lie that you can just create whatever truth you want. To recite the creed is to say we reject materialism. We reject the notion that physical stuff will satisfy your soul. We reject the idolatry of sex. We reject the lie that more money, more power, more popularity will give us meaning. We reject the notion that there are many paths up the mountain to God because that assumes you can get up the mountain on your own. No, if we're to be with God, he's going to have to come down. And he has in Jesus Christ. It's a succinct summary. It's a public confession of allegiance. And then the creed is objective truth. To recite the creed is to defy the false doctrine of Sheilaism. In his book, Habits of the Heart, Robert Bella tells of a nurse named Sheila who said, well, I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember when the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism. Just my own little voice. In defining my own little voice, Sheilaism, Sheila says, just love yourself, be gentle with yourself, take care of others. I think God would want us to take care of others. That's not the creed. Uh, in, in the second century, a church leader by the name of Irenaeus wrote, What doctor, when wishing to cure the sick, would act in accordance with the desires of the patient and not in accordance with the requirements of medicine? The creed is medicine. It, it is truth to heal life. To recite the creed and demonstrate the creed's truth, not just with your lips, but with, with your life, is to declare more than what well, I think or I feel or in my opinion. It is to take a stand. I am entering into the realm of this mighty, mysterious, loving, caring God. I'm committing myself to this God. I am consciously choosing to commit all my life and my will to his care and his control. The creed, succinct summary, public confession, objective truth. That's what it is. Now, here's what it does, the creed. It corrects, it prioritizes, it unites. Corrects, prioritizes, and it unites. The Apostles' Creed corrects error. So it's like a, it's like a carpenter's level. When the bubbles between the two lines, you're good. You see, the reality of truth presupposes the existence of error. And our world objects to the existence of objective truth. And today, practically every religion is respected and approved except religion that speaks of absolute truth and narrow roads to God. But much of the New Testament came about to correct false teaching and no error presents a greater danger to the church and the world than theological error. And why? 
because ideas have consequences. That's why. Heresy, the denial of doctrines central to Christianity, departs from the truth and has eternal consequences. And Titus chapter 1 verse 9 says that my job as your pastor is to hold to the faithful message as taught, as given, as delivered in order to encourage us with sound, healthy teaching and then refute those who contradict it. So creeds teach truth and correct error. If you want to detect a counterfeit, don't study the counterfeit. Study the truth, and then you'll know. So the creed corrects. And then the creed prioritizes. Prioritizes. That's what's behind Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15 when he speaks of um, what I received, I delivered unto you as of matters of first importance. In other words, Paul's saying, this is the hill we're going to die on. This is what we're going to fight for. And so matters of first importance would include those articles that we would read in the Apostles' Creed or the, the Nicene Creed or, the, or um, the, the old Roman Creed, those early statements that summarize Christianity. When the Bible calls something unrighteous, we have no authority to call that righteous. That's a first-order violation. Those are matters of first importance. But then there are matters of second importance. And matters of second importance would be defined as convictions held for the sake of church operational unity, but they don't define the Christian faith. And, and so this in part explains why denominations exist. See, they have distinct convictions um, for the sake of operational unity, but they don't, those don't define the Christian faith. Matters of second importance. And then there are matters of third importance, which you know, are various opinions about, say, biblical interpretations or, or Christian activities or life activities. Uh, often these are matter of conscience, food or beverage choices, uh, policy issues, Political party affiliations, those are matters of whether you, whether you choose to work on Sunday or not, those are matters of third importance. Now hear me, church. Without critical thinking on matters of first importance, one of two results will occur. First, if nothing is a matter of first importance, then you're going to wind up with Sheilaism. But second, if everything is a matter of first importance, if, if everything is a matter of first order, then you're going to look like our political leaders. And you'll ignore someone who's trying to shake your hand on one hand, and on the other hand, you'll tear up their speech. Or you'll interrupt them during a debate. We are living in a day which our world does not know how to disagree 
And it's because we've chosen not to think critically or act respectfully. And what happens in the world must not happen in the kingdom of God. To reject the one true God results in a culture where everybody wants to be God. If you will commit yourself to the creed as a matter of first importance, then, then you can give others the freedom to follow their conscience just as you would like them to give you the freedom to follow your conscience. The creed corrects, the creed prioritizes, and then, and then the creed unites. It, it unites us into one universal holy church. And that's what's behind that phrase that we read together, one holy Catholic church. Catholic, small case C, from the Greek. Kata, kata, according to, holos, holos, the whole, according to the whole. Catholicus, according to the whole, according to the all-encompassing, according to the global, one one holy global church all over the world. Millions and millions of Christians are reciting this creed. And this congregation is part of a worldwide congregation of Christians. In its original context, Catholicus, Catholic, was in reference to the global church, the all-encompassing church. It's beautiful. Think about it. Churches right now, all over the world, gathering in, in, in gothic-looking facilities or contemporary-looking facilities or homes or prisons or hospitals or by the beach or outdoors or in secret. I mean, we're part of a worldwide spiritual community united by core doctrinal truths. Truths that correct. Truths that prioritize. Truths that unite. So much so that when I can go halfway around the world to Kathmandu, Nepal, and be a part of the congregation of brothers and sisters pastored by Sundar Tapa, I can come into the gathering, not as a guest or a stranger, but as a brother in Christ. And I just can't, I, words fail me to ex, be able to explain the Holy Spirit's power to unite us, brothers and sisters, all together as the Ancient gospel is proclaimed under the lordship of King Jesus. My gosh, thank you, Lord. Doctrinal truths that correct and prioritize and unite. That's what the creed does. Amen. What it is, what it does, and then what it says. So let's get into that first article of the Apostles' Creed.
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Let's start with, let's start with maker. <laughs> oh my goodness, I am a frustrated preacher. When I think about all that God has created, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, well let, for now, let's, let's talk about humpback whales and hummingbirds. Humpback whales. Magnificent creatures. They spend 95% of their lives in the deepest, darkest places of the ocean. And then without warning, they're able to pull 60,000 pounds of blubber against gravity and leap out of the water for unexplainable reasons. Did you know some baby whales gain 100 pounds an hour while nursing? <laughs> The song of the humpback whale lasts 10 to 20 minutes, and it's repeated for hours and hours at a time. And why? Here's the scientific answer. Well, no. No kidding. Biologists speculate that it may be related to mating, but truthfully, no one is really quite sure. The, 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 why do they breach the ocean like that? I mean, that's also a mystery. Is it for show? Is it for mating? Is it just for fun? Nobody really knows why. God made that. God made that. And then all the way down to the, to the hummingbird. Do you know there's 240 species of hummingbirds? This is the bee hummingbird. It resides in Cuba. It's just over two inches, two inches long. It weighs a single gram. Uh, hummingbirds can hover and fly backward and even fly upside down. The, the speed is astonishing. And when a male hummingbird wants to, to court a female hummingbird, he dives out of the sky at 61 miles an hour. She's supposed to be impressed. Hummingbirds' wings beat at a rate that make them blur to the human eyes more than 60 times a second. If you were as active as a hummingbird, you'd need 155,000 calories a day. Who made that? God made that. God. The reason why science has flourished in the West is the doctrine of God the creator over his creation. God the designer. It's as if God says, men, women, and children, go explore my creation. Go learn. Go be amazed. Science. CO. To know. God can be known by his creation, you see. What can we know about God? That he is a designer and creator and maker. Give him glory. Give him glory. Do you know God is just as pleased as our discoveries at Beckman as he is our learnings here? Give him glory. And when Jesus taught us to pray, he did not tell us to begin with our maker. That would have been appropriate that would have been correct. But he says, 
When you pray, say, our Father. Our Father. God, what do I call you? Jesus says, call him Father. That, that, that doesn't mean he has a gender. It means that he begets us. He brings us into being. It means he personally cares for us. It means he loves us. I realize that when some hear us talk about God as father, we've been scarred by earthly fathers, dysfunctional, abusive, evil fathers. But our father in heaven bears no resemblance to your father on earth. He's more loving, more moral, more dedicated to you than any earthly father you've ever had. Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14 say, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. St. August, uh, Augustine, who was a pastor uh, in uh, northern Africa over 15, 1,600 years ago, he once said, God loves each of us as, there was as if there was only one of us to love. As a father, that means he has loving expectations and loving affections. So God our Father has expectations of me. A father who does not have expectations of his children is a poor father. A good father has expectations of behavior. Here is how I want you to treat people. Here is how gentlemen act. Here's how ladies act. Here's how to show respect. Here's how you handle finances. Here's how to be a good steward of the possessions that I have given you. Here's your work ethic. Here's the integrity that I expect. Here's what it means to tell the truth. Speak courteously. A good father trains children toward that end. Your heavenly father does that. Do you give your children everything they ask for? No. Why? Because you're a good father. That's why. And God, our father, he has expectations of us. Uh, like what? Let me just give you one verse. Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. And then underline this next sentence. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Mm. Loving expectations and then loving affections. He, he loves me by his expectations and he loves me by his affections. And that means this. He enjoys us. He is for us. Even when it feels like he's against us, he's for us. He knows our frame. He knows we get discouraged. He knows we get weak. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted, he will provide a way of escape. But he's not just an ordinary father. He's the almighty father meaning that God our Father will accomplish whatever it is he sets out to do. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. He who promised is faithful. He will sustain you to the end. 
That God is almighty creator and father of the heaven and earth means that your life has meaning. Your life has meaning. People often view power in sinister sorts of ways because power gets abused. Power gets used selfishly. But God, our Father and Maker, uses His power so that we can flourish. And why does He do this? Self-giving love. That's why. He loves us. Love that spoke the world into being. And when the pinnacle of creation, the man and the woman, committed high treason in a home that God made for them, love set out to restore and to redeem. Love used power to bring us home by his grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, grace, grace, Unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving sinner by an unobligated giver. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave and he continues to give. Whatever comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We worship the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who loves with an everlasting love. This, <laughs> we didn't make this up last week. This is ancient truth. This is truth that you can rest your life on. To enter God's kingdom is not a matter of I pay, I earn, I strive, I work, I labor, I try, but rather I believe, I trust I rely upon. I believe God the Father. I believe Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. I believe the Holy Spirit. Do you believe? Would you bow your heads? We're going to enter a time of communion now. time where we remember God's self-giving love. God, our amazing Father and Maker and Creator. Who set about to repair this broken world, this world that we broke. And He has done so in the sending of His Son. who broke into this realm on a search and rescue mission. And he's left us with symbols that remind us of his self-giving love, the bread and the juice. He gave his life for us. If you believe then these emblems are for you. Holy Father, thank you so much. Thank you for 
sending your son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from the dominion of darkness, to plant us into the sun, the kingdom of the sun. Thank you that upon his resurrection and ascension and seating of the your right hand, he has sent his Holy Spirit that unites us as one family, one community, where by your strength we can outdo one another in showing honor. God, your grace is our life. Oh, how we love you. Oh, thank you. We, we just say thank you as we receive. And all God's people said, amen.